Secrets from a Coach. Thrive and maximize your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson-Staveley of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Law, you all right? Oh, I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right, thank you. I've got a question for you, though. Ooh, go on then. How are you managing your performance through change, Law? Oh, how dare you? How dare you put the pressure on Debs? <laughs> what, do you mean I actually have to work and perform in order to maintain well, That's what my, you get paid for, Law. <laughs> my role. Oh, she's so harsh. But do you know what, Debs? You know, we've had a pandemic. I've had lots on. There's change left, right, centre. You know, how am I supposed to perform while we've got all of this stuff then going on? Which is why we thought, as part of our five-part focus looking at managing performance, how do we maximise it? We've heard um, from tips for giving feedback. We've looked at how to maximise our own personal performance. But actually, from a business and a work point of view, you know, whatever type of industry you work in, how do you manage performance fairly during times of change. So, Debs, I'm going to be picking your brains in a moment, but I just wanted to do a bit of a setup. If performance was in a static environment, then it'd be easy to see the change in my performance year on year. But there are so many changes and variables that we've seen. What is fair? Because I might have been 120% on target in, for example, 2020. But if I'm now at 70%, is it my fault that there are certain conditions in that trading environment? What's my role in that? So how do you manage performance fairly if actually your market has seen lots of disruption? The second challenge we've got is, is if performance was 100% figures based, then it'd be easier to measure the tangible output, for example, from what I do. But how do you measure, for example, teamwork or stakeholder management or impact and influence? How do you measure some of those soft skills? So I think what's going to be interesting, Debs, in the world of managing performance is watch out. There's a robot thing coming, Debs. So brace yourself. Oh, I'm ready. Ready, I'm ready. Go. Not talking about (laughs) robots for a while, Debs. I'm desperate. No, we haven't actually. Yeah, bring it in. Yeah. But the reality of rapid automation, increasing use of AI-enabled software and streamlined processes is a lot of people's black and white elements of their job are now being automated. So um, what that leaves is a lot of grey areas. So, you know, whether I'm good at a a team member or not, that's kind of in the eyes of my (laughs) line manager when they're doing that performance appraisal or how do you measure it? So I think there's going to be a real advantage to those individuals, whether you are managing someone else's performance or managing your own, about being able to talk eloquently and articulately and confidently about the grey areas of work. So actually, you are able to manage performance fairly during change, even though your market might have been through lots of disruption even though actually the output of your team might not be tangible in the figures, but they might have had some role, for example, in in another team then getting the figures through the door. So I think there's going to be a competitive advantage about being able to talk confidently around performance and what that means to manage it fairly. Because if people don't feel like they're being treated fairly, Debs, what impact does that have on morale and culture? What have you seen? Oh, so much um, law. Because, and I think it's something, what you're saying there is so important just to stop and consider what you're saying and think about as if you're that manager, you know, actually, do I need to do a reset of how I even look at change and how do I ensure that I am being fair? What does that even mean? And to be able to explore that. But I think it links 
quite nicely. I know we've gone through the change curve um, many times on this law, but again, this links in nicely to what we're doing. So the emotional response to change is something that is that everybody's going to respond differently depending on what the change is and what's happening. So if we can at least understand what some of the emotional responses people might be going through as the change is happening or about to happen, and then the skills that we can bring into that to um, maybe not alleviate it to some extent, but have the space to have a conversation to manage it fairly, in inverted commas, I think is really important. So, you know, the the what goes on when something happens and it's completely unexpected, we um, have that surprise element of it or... Um, we just thought, I never saw that coming. So we have that shock that happens to us. And and that can be instant. And it's like, what do we do then? So if we're not catching that and thinking about how are we going to deliver that message, because people don't see it coming. And even though you might see the figures dropping and the commercial aspects not working, no return on investment, not enough customers coming through the door, whatever it might be, it's that bit, rather than have that knee-jerk reaction, it's thinking, okay, we've got to do something here. But then how do we set people up? And I know we can't always tell people, well, we're not doing very well, I think we can, um, but that's my personal take on it because we need to be realistic. Um, and then we can, if we've got a good teamwork going, then we can have those difficult conversations or perceived difficult conversations about this is where we're at, this is where we need to get to. How do we get them us there? But normally through that emotional response change, if we don't know it's coming, the shock's there. So we can help people by just listening, have a conversation understand, um, you know, you weren't expecting that. Let's talk about it. What does that mean for you? Chat, chat, chat. So have conversations all the way. We then automatically go into the denial phase of that emotional response. You know, it can't be true. You know, this isn't happening to me. And therefore we go about trying to disprove it. And we might work harder at that point is what I've probably seen in the past is people suddenly put their heads down and think, I'm going to work because I don't want to lose my job because we already jumped to that conclusion potentially. So again, managing the emotions around that by checking in regularly with your team, it can help you catch things that might be going on for that individual and everybody will be different. And it's not just one super curve that's going on. There might be many curves because they might be talking about it at home and that that might add to their angst and anxiety and overwhelm. It might create that frustration, which is where we start going down into the pits of despair, um, where we know things are changing. It's out of our control to some extent. And we get angry with the fact that we have not got the control. So before we go into that valley of despair or the pit of despair with depression or sadness or what's the point, um, I think managers can do, you know, part of, again, having open dialogue, acknowledging the fact that people might be angry, listening to your people and helping them to understand the emotion, I think is really important. And we all avoid the emotion or how you feel about that. We may not be able to fix it, but by giving people time, space, recognition that they are still valuable, they're still humans and they exist, can make a big difference as you go through the change curve. And I think that bit around if we can have those decent conversations, people are, in my experience, more willing to accept or are more willing to experiment and find out a little bit more about what does that mean for them. So helping them adjust to the new situation is something that we can help people with. Um, and then making decisions, as we call it, so slowly adapting to the changes that are being made, um, having a more of a positive outlook on it. Um, 
to the point where we move through to integration, where we are completely adjusted to it um, and we've accepted the change and we feel ready to go again. That doesn't happen overnight. That could be over a period of time and it can be a year, it can be a month, it can be a week. Everybody, again, is different. But I think the role of a manager in that change and treating people fairly is communication and enabling people um, to deal with the grey area, as you said, because it throws up so many questions. Um, and yes, there is a HR process that has to be followed and, and there are some legalities that sit around change. But we have a part to play where we have conversations um, that enable people to understand it. And what does that mean for them is probably what I would say. So dealing with the emotional responses is what people avoid. And that's when we normally get to speak to people going through uh, change career, redundancies, whatever, because we we create that space for them to talk about what's the impact on them, but also asking them, what do you want to do about that? What can you put in place that's going to create a level of certainty for you as you go through that change um, curve, I suppose, or change in curves, depending on what it is? God, Debs, beautifully described. Inspire us. <clears throat> when it's done well, what impact can it have? So when you've seen it done well in organisations or heard in the coaching space, the fact that someone says actually it was managed pretty well, what impact can it have, Deb? So just kind of give us the vision of success when actually change is managed well and performance is managed fairly through change. What benefit does that give an individual, a team, an organisation? Oh God, it can be huge. Um, I think when you said that, the first thing at work, they feel valued and they feel like they matter. So therefore, that time that's been given to them to have those conversations, it's been managed really well. And I have seen it managed exceptionally well. But it's been a willingness to have those maybe, perceived, as we said, difficult conversations, to lean into the emotion of somebody. Um, they feel trusted. They feel respected. Um, and therefore, they are understand it. They might not like it, but they understand it. So that's the level of acceptance. I can't change it, but I can certainly change what happens tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that open dialogue, I think, is really important. And the people I've seen it do it really, really well have just had a, what I call an open door. They're available. I've When it goes wrong... I've seen senior managers disappear into their offices, never to be seen again. And everyone goes, are they still here or have they gone? You know, so it creates uncertainty in people. Those that have done it well have leaned into it and have created a level of certainty based on the information that they've got at that moment in time. But they've kept the communication lines open and they haven't shut them off because then people are wondering, you know, because they don't hear from them, they think the worst normally. Oh, we haven't heard from them. You know, so... I think I've seen it both ways, but those that have made it work, they people feel valued. They feel part of the change process. They've been asked for their ideas, which is why I think setting up forum groups, getting other alternatives can make a big difference because we feel like we've been listened to. I'm going to give a bit of a whirlwind tour on some things that from a communication point of view are just some food for thought. And um, for the uh, the loyal listeners, some of these might be familiar territory, but um, it can be useful to have a bit of a refresh. So we'll have a look at some practical things for those conversations. And it's useful sort for both sides of the party. And then, Debs, what I think might be quite useful is after that is what just might be some watch out. So what might you need to be ultra mindful about just um, when, you know, when people are busy and there's lots of ups and downs, actually just to watch out because sometimes a conversation can have some consequences and what might be some things not to be scared of, but just be mindful of. So to take a, um, you know, a smart approach to it. So let's have a look at some practical ways, some things to consider when having that um, open communication. (laughs) 
So you mentioned, Debs, about um, communicating change well. And um, one of the crowd pleasers that we often see on the leadership development workshops we run is something called the two-up intent. Oh, I like this one, Law. So the two-up intent. So uh, big big cheers out to um, Adam Wilson. Thank you very much. A, uh, a long-time friend of Secrets from a Coach team. And little did he know, the little throwaway comment he gave to me in uh, one coffee break about seven years ago, I've been trading on that about seven years since, Adam. So uh, thank you for that. And what he mentioned in passing was something that they were trained in the world of um, army leadership, which they call the two-up intent strategy, which is every task that is communicated, there's then clearly communicated the intention behind that two levels up that hierarchy. So you may work in an environment where there's not much hierarchy, but in the army, there's, there's, you know, a hierarchy because you're looking at large numbers of people. So, um, so let's say, for example, we're doing, uh, um, we're going to make a change and it's around task X. The reason why we're doing that is because of Y. And the reason behind that, the ultimate purpose is Z. So I'm clear that even though X might not be particularly exciting, or it might be a bit difficult, or I might be a bit uncertain about it, I can clearly see that there's some greater good that sits behind this. So the two-up intent strategy is every bit of change-related communication that you're about to give out, just be clear in your mind, have I explained the context and the higher purpose behind this? Because if people can link um, what I'm doing now, it might not be particularly exciting, but I can see that there's a benefit behind it longer term. We're more open-minded to, to give something a go. And often what demoralizes people, and it links to the value is, is if I don't know what's going on, if I'm just getting told what to do and I've got no understanding as to the rationale behind it, then I'm going to get cynical and then I'm going to be less engaged and wanting to do things. So that two-up intent strategy, people like that, Devs, don't they? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I use it like you do. And even for myself, it's like, okay, what am I doing today that's going to impact on the next bit and the next next bit. So I think you can adapt it to whatever you're going through. Love that, Law. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you mentioned um, giving people a voice, so forum v- groups, for example. And um, and I think, you know, if I think about some of the um, change projects that have been around safety initiatives, for example, the amount of frontline teams that have then said, why didn't they ask us? We're the people that use that process or use that machinery. Where were we, you know, when when we were getting, when all the designs were being made? And then, you know, actually you then have that concept or that way of working launched and it falls over because the people that are actually going to use it go, uh, <laughs> did you know, by the way, that there's something that doesn't work? <laughs> you know, and then, and then it becomes all a bit difficult. And then, you know, people roll their eyes and think, oh, another example. And actually had the right people being involved right at the start, you could have had a diverse of opinion sitting around the table but I totally recognize on some long projects that might be decades in the making you know people will come and go and they won't always be in that but what can we do to involve people right from the start and in particular, have we got enough um, diversity around that table, people that are going to be impacted by this change? And then you've got more likely to be aware of the challenges and opportunities at those different levels in an organisation, which means you can then manage performance fairly. So it's that awareness bit. Definitely. And I think just picking up on that, um, Law, I think that ability to be able to make that happen, I think is super important. And knowing that can only help rather than hinder. So you're empowering people to want to learn about it a bit more or be in, uh, be curious about what is going on, I think. So yeah, I think that's important as well. 
And one of the uh, the fourth bit that, um, well, the third one that uh, tends to get people um, really engaged on sessions that we run, which is around being really clear on performance expectations. So if I don't actually know what's expected of me, then I'm potentially going to be a bit uncertain about how to perform, which then makes it really tricky for me to be managed fairly because I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing anyway. So it would be brilliant if you could just refresh us on the focus, skill and will tool, um, Debs, because people, if you haven't heard it before, it's just, you can see people's faces like, up going, it makes total sense. So take us through what is the focus, skill, will approach? How might that be beneficial for all parties concerned when we think about managing performance fairly? I only used this this week actually on a workshop and again they just oh my god that's so simple and I think that's it the simplest things are the easiest things to remember but also to implement. So focus, skill and will is basically the focus is do I know what's expected of me? The skill bit, how am I doing against that expectation? And the will bit is how can I improve? So for yourself and others, you know, if you can answer those questions, do I know what's expected of me? Uh, yeah. Or no, that's a prompt to then go and have a conversation to be clear because then you can work within the parameters of whatever the job is you're doing. And therefore, when you are when you do it well, you'll get the feedback and you're managing your performance. If you don't do it well and you get the feedback that says, I wasn't rubbish, you'll think that's unfair. So know what's expected of you. Make sure people are aware of what's expected of them. So as the manager, having the conversation and checking that out. The how can I improve is really important because that's the regular check-ins that we would do when we're managing performance well um, is to let people know how they're doing, give them that feedback. Um, so they're managing their performance well. And then how they can improve is getting them to be better than they were a moment ago. So they continue to work their way through the learning approach so that they become you know, unconsciously competent at doing it. So they just do it without even thinking. And as a manager, that means, or as a leader that goes, oh my God, they're super good at that. Let me give them something else to do. Let me reset the expectation. Let me tell them what's expected of them. Have a conversation. Make sure they get the regular feedback on how they're doing, asking them, getting you to then put your bit in. And then it goes around again. So focus, skill and will. What's expected? Do I know what's expected of me? How can I, how am I doing against that expectation? And how might you improve? It's a, like you're two up in 10. It's a crowd pleaser. Because <laughs> it's so simple. So simple. But I mean, as always, the, the, the impact we hope to have as a result of our podcast is if you are not fortunate enough to be either employed at the moment or looking for work or whatever your kind of employment status is, if you haven't been on a training course for a while, because either you just haven't had the opportunity or it just doesn't happen where you, where you are, then um, hopefully this gives you a bit of an insight as to kind of what are some of the top trends out there and what are some things that can genuinely you know help. And for those people that have been on our sessions, you think, oh, yeah, that two up in 10 thing that they said. So it's a way of getting a bit of momentum. Yeah. Um, now, Debs, the wonderful thing about, of course, this podcast is we're doing it as the sort of secrets from a coach. So I'd like to invite you to walk down the dark corridor with me. Okay. And we're going to open up the trap door. Um, the things that can be some challenges, the uneasy aspects of managing performance fairly, particularly during times of change. So come with me, coach. I'm going to be asking you, what are some of those traps and challenges that just might be worthwhile being aware of? So Debs, 
The thing about performance is it's a bit of a two-way street, really, isn't it? It takes two to tango, and we've done a lot on this uh, episode focusing on, well, what does it mean to manage others um, fairly during performance, um, during change? But um, I think also it's, well, what does that mean for me as the colleague to actually take empowerment and accountability? I'm not a child in this setup here. The manager isn't my parent. Actually, we're two adults trying to do what we're supposed to do. So hopefully what we've looked at is some tips that enables adult communication. But what might be something for if anyone's listening who is currently feeling a little bit like they're stuck in the trapdoor, <laughs> it's all a bit of a dark place from a from their own performance point of view. What would be some um, words of comfort, some some words of inspiration to uh, about taking ownership around one's own performance? What what have you seen when people have just sort of had a bit of a wake up call and thought actually it's only me that can do something about this. So it'd be great to hear your thoughts um, from a coach perspective on that. Yeah, and and the dark side of that. is sometimes you hear people blaming them, they, they not, they're not, they are. They, and I always say, but who are they? You know, I can't do my job because they won't let me. Okay, talk to me about that. Because we put barriers in place and we blame everybody else, but only we can be accountable for ourselves, right? So I have to look at myself first to go, mm, what part am I playing in that? So that one um, is always a good one, the them and they. Um, and we're if you like, um, the watch out is that I'm just dismissing, I'm pushing it onto somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. The reason I haven't been able to complete that is because somebody over there has not done their bit. Okay. So what did you do to go and find out where they were? Uh, silence. I didn't. Okay. So you're quite quick to blame everyone else, but not look at what could I do? So we always say, I think, Laura, don't you, that if we're, you can think about or visualize, if I'm going to point the finger out at somebody, um, there are three fingers pointing back at me. Um, so before I go, you haven't done, or they haven't made that happen. There are three fingers that go one, two, three, what three things have I not even thought about before I go on? And I guarantee that it will be something you can do that avoids you pointing the finger. So that's a big one. They, them pointing the finger of blame, but actually it's all coming back into you. So ask yourself first. Um, I think the other one I see, which is a watch out is uh, people move the problem or, the individual leaves and goes and looks for another job somewhere else. But because they haven't dealt with whatever's going on for them, they carry it with them. And it's like it follows them around. And they wonder why they're in the same space a year later, blaming the world because. And it's like, really? Have you looked at yourself? Hold the mirror up. What are you doing? What's getting in the way? All of that lovely stuff. And I've seen other people, companies move the problem to other, like sidestep somebody or they get promoted upwards. Um, the problem doesn't go away. So not leaning into having a conversation um, to just be, call it out really, I think is really important. So that moving the problem just causes problems further down the line and everybody then can see that you haven't dealt with it. So I think, again, going back to what we spoke about earlier, those that lean in, have the conversation, um, treat people fairly. They treat people equally. Um, I think they distribute resources well, jobs, opportunities. They're not biased towards people. Um, I think they're the people that make the difference. Um, 
And they also make sure when it works that everybody has a voice. So it's not just calling into nobody's listening to me. They create the space where to avoid that watch out, let me hear from you. Tell me what you what you want to say. And they may not be able to do anything with it. But if we don't, um, then it just creates havoc further down the line. So there's some of the key watch outs that always caused angst, disrespect. No, they just roll their eyes at the end and contempt um, is then it breeds contempt within. And it's just not a good place to be. Super toxic. And Debs, I think um, it often can be a bit of a sort of, again, a bit of a wake up call when you when you sort of all of these things take time. But for that half an hour catch up with a key architect within that team, someone that has got, you know, a lot of sway within that team. Yes, you might not have time for that half an hour, but that's certainly quicker than having to spend a whole month recruiting multiple vacancies because six months down the line, half your team have left because they're all secretly looking for work whilst the change, they could see how it was being handled. So it's that kind of spend the time now wisely so you don't have to waste lots of time potentially later on and it's it's, it's demoralizing for all, all concerned so that conversation kind of now and I, I just uh, think of a, a quote that my dad said to me ages ago about if you're not around the table you're on the menu yeah I love that <laughs> get, get the right people around that table having the conversation yeah. and then people feel they don't feel so frightened about what's going on whispered behind conversations and of course there'll be bits of communication that might need to be filtered and adjusted so you might mindful of the impact it might have. But sometimes just spending the time now can then just save a whole load of time and, um, and angst later down the line. So Debs, call to action. So we wanted to do a real quick overview um, on this big topic, which is managing performance fairly during the change. It's a big topic. Hopefully this episode has given you some food for thought as well as some practical takeaways of what you could do next. So Debs, what would your call to action be? What would be something that you think would be useful to try out this week? Oh, I think um, it goes back to that being honest and open in your dealings, interactions with people. Um, I think be mindful of what's going on for the other person as well and think about their map of the world, not just yours. So that would be, so I suppose mine is being more mindful of how you're going to approach that. And as you said, being honest and have that open uh, openness in, in your dealings with it and not shy away with it. My share the secret would be if you haven't got a learning network in your place of work, who might be a learning buddy? So let's say you you know that there's some change on the horizon or there's currently stuff that's going on. Um, who could you get to listen to this? You've then got some shared language. You can then come up with your approach, whatever side of that change that you're on um, and uh, thinking about what that means from a maintaining performance, but also managing, managing it fairly as well. So, Debs, it's been such an interesting focus, hasn't it, this month, looking at how to maximise performance and what that means. So really looking forward to the final part of our series that's going to be at next week's episode, which um, we hope you find a real um, eye-opener, a different perspective, a fresh take on managing performance from maybe a lens that you might not have considered, depending on your own background. So really looking forward to that, Debs, in conversation with our guest. Yeah. In the meantime... Have a fantastic high-performing week. May there be no trapdoors there watching to trip you up. (laughs) (laughs) I hope there aren't either, Laura. None for you too, so enjoy. I will. And I'm going to watch out for those three fingers that are pointing back at me, Devs. (laughs) (laughs) Don't blame me, Laura. Look at yourself first. No, I told you you should have done that. (laughs) I'll take full account. (laughs) I'll take accountability for that one. I'll have a fab week. You too, lovely. Love you. (laughs) Love you. Bye. (laughs) 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're a Spotify listener, give us a rating as it makes it easier for us to share the secret with others.